Remembering the random murder of his friend in Wellington CBD in 1980 was the starting point for Alistair Luke's new crime novel, One Heart, One Spade. In it, a young woman from a privileged home is missing. Wellington detective Lucas Cole is in charge of an investigation that becomes more and more puzzling. He's also struggling in his personal life with his partner Tess. Sam Hollis reads from One Heart, One Spade. Belle said, We received two separate missing person reports yesterday. One from Mr McEwen and one from Miss Daniels' boyfriend, Miles Weston. Weston and Daniels are students at Vic, both doing bachelors of bugger all. Both reporters, one a high court judge, the other a 20-year-old Vic student, pointed the finger at the other as having knowledge about her disappearance. Weston reported to our front desk here yesterday morning at 8.15 in the a.m. McEwen rang our area commander, David Andrews, at 8.30 in the p.m. You'll understand the difference. Cole wondered, in terms of time or influence? Daniel's parents died in a car crash four years ago. That was the subject of an investigation. Parents Derek and Sonia Daniels head on into a tree four miles north of Bulls in 73. Unexplained, but not topical for the moment. Sonia was McEwen's daughter by his first wife, Linda McEwen. Linda died in a drowning accident off Hatepe, Lake Topor, in 1964. Judge McEwen's second wife, Virginia McEwen, electrocuted herself in a bath at the Crescent three years ago in 74. This is not relevant, a very sensitive issue, understood? Cole pondered. Influence it was, for sure. Alistair, I know you, you're not telling the story of your friend's um, murder back in 1980, but how did what happened to him lead to One Heart, One Spade? I was driving uh, for work between Parihaka and Oakuni in a rental car, and I'd linked my iPhone to the car sound system driving through the Paraparas, very misty November evening, and I suddenly, for no reason whatsoever, while I was listening to my playlist, suddenly thought about all of the things that my friend would never have seen, would mystify him if he was to come back today. And that became a catalyst for me to, when I got back home a few days later, to write an anecdote about my friend and about an incident, which is a true incident, which is the very beginning of the story, where he had a brake failure in his yellow Skoda on Orang Kopapa in Northland and Mountain and had to ram it into the bank to arrest its descent. And from there, it just kind of moved on. I suddenly just couldn't stop writing and I began the story like that. I didn't know where it was going. Of course, when you're writing a thriller like this, a police procedural if you like, you've got to have a great detective. But what about Lucas Cole himself? How have you created him and what are his strengths and what are his weaknesses? His strength is his integrity. His weakness is that he's a little bit easily led and he's definitely led in the story by his other colleague, John Holland, but also um, his weaknesses in not quite understanding who he is and his relationship with Tess, which was, which was troublesome. Tess is this uh, brilliant, full-of-life person and accuses him several times of not living his own life. And I think that's how he grows through the book. He becomes 
stronger in himself for knowing about his place in Aotearoa in 19, the 1970s, and then becoming a, a fuller person. Um, I'm actually in the middle of the sequel at the moment, and I'm actually exploring his weaknesses much more deeply, which is to say that he's he's slightly stupid in some ways, but he is also passionate and has a great deal of integrity. You've given him a puzzling case. Let's talk about Felicity. Let's talk about Flick and her disappearance. Without giving anything away, what can you tell us about this investigation that is so problematic for him? The major problem is that you know very early on that her grandfather, Geoffrey McEwen, has something to hide. and You don't actually know what know what he is hiding. And the, the disappearance of Flick becomes incredibly mysterious. Was McEwen involved? And that's where the detectives are, are really stonewalled because McEwen refuses to let them search the house. That's known very early on in the book. And then as you progress through the book, Flick's arc, the arc of her disappearance is, is a continuous kind of shadow over the entire story, but then other stories around possible links. Maybe they're not, maybe they are come into it. Had you set this in the current day, of course, you'd have all the social media. I think Flick would have been on social media, actually. But of course, this is set in the late 1970s. And of all the decades that you could have chosen, why did you settle on this time? Primarily because of my friend, his murder in 1980, and I knew him most intimately in the year years in which the book was set, 1977, and that was what the catalyst for the book was thinking about what, what was around and what we knew at those times, how we reacted to things like misogyny, uh, racism, sexuality, all of those things that were in my mind at that time as a teenager. So it was I wanted to set it in that time because his murder catalyzed the book and I wanted to explore all of the things that he wouldn't know today and explore those themes. There are scenes in the book, for instance, where the Cole has to go into a phone booth on Oriental Parade and plug coins into the phone to ring his boss. I mean, today he'd pick up a cell phone. The internet didn't exist. So that was the reason for the time setting, was exploring what was relevant for me in my teenage years and how much different it is 42 years later. I think a lot of our listeners would probably look back at the 70s quite fondly. But just what you said is it's interesting. Misogyny in society and the police force also, of course, very different. Racism, you know, as we do now, colonialism, but not addressed as directly as we address it now. So they were mixed times. There was something joyous. I'm glad we left the fashion behind, I've got to say, as somebody who lived through the 70s. But, you know, they, they, there was an undercurrent. At that time, at the same time, we were getting over our cultural cringe and watching our movies and watching ourselves in theatre. It, it was it was a strange time, really. Yeah, and um, part of the the story where I where I pull in Erina having been part of Parihaka is to explore through her relationship with Lucas how he begins to see uh, that colonialist past, 
which when I was a teenager was completely out of our grasp. We, we didn't understand any of that. And with Erin and her relationships within the police force, within the CIB, that the assumptions that are made about her, not only because she's Māori, but also because she's a woman, and she comes from the provinces, all of these assumptions that her colleagues make about her are really kind of were interesting to explore, but I also wanted to explore her as a character with real backbone, with fire in the belly, and, and how that affects Lucas as their relationship develops and what he learns from all of that. You've, uh, I know, done some research into the 70s drug scene. I've got to say, when I uh, was first contacted about the book and I saw One Heart, One Spade, I thought, bridge, because I'm a card player. <laughs> and then within yeah. the first few um, few pages, um, I realised that what we're talking about are drugs. Yeah, and, and um, without um, holding out my hands for the handcuffs, I did those drugs, so I'm very familiar with those little tabs of paper. They were probably five millimetres by five millimetres and they had little symbols on them which contained the drug and you basically put them on your tongue and, and swallowed them. And uh, so the, that, which comes from the first four pages of the book, is where the one heart, one spade came from, but it has another arc in the book as well. As it happens, we're talking to one of our great champions of uh, New Zealand and Australian crime writing on, on the programme, Chris Sisterson, about a new anthology of uh, short stories written in the, in the crime genre. Is this a genre that you particularly enjoyed reading before you started writing it? Absolutely. Craig has a copy of the book, but I did send him a copy. And um, no, it's definitely a genre I really like. And, and one of the big influences for me, particularly in terms of the clipped dialogue and the writing style, is a great Australian crime writer, Peter Templeton, and particularly his two books, The Broken Shore and Truth, which I, I regard as great books in any genre, but are definitely crime books. They're, they're probably a bit more grim than my story, but Peter Templeton was a major influencer. But others, Ian Rankin, Henning Mankell, James Lee Burke, crime is a genre that I've read in Tana French, another one, Kate Atkinson. So a whole number of writers in that genre who I really, really enjoy. Alistair Luke, One Heart, One Spade is self-published.